everyone. My name's Nicole. I'm Brenna. I'm Reed. And this is FitClick. This is a podcast where we talk about fan fiction. Each episode, each of the three of us brings a fic to discuss. Reed, you're up first this week. What's your fic? My fic this episode is All I Want by Young Legends for the fandom Luna, and the pairing is Heejin Hyunjin. Brenna, what did you pick? My fic for this episode is Jeffrey Nullier's, quote, Man with Fedora by Copper Badge. This is a gen fic for the fandom White Collar. Nick, what about you? My fic for this episode is Once in Future by Olivia Searcy for the fandoms Winter Solstice Camelot Station by John M. Ford and Arthurian mythology and related fandoms. You know what's funny is that I feel like in past rec exchange, like host rec exchange episodes we've done, it's like, oh, you can tell, like, this wasn't this was a fic picked for someone else. I feel like all three of these are fics like we could have just brought as yeah, the three absolutely. of us for an episode. <laughs> That's, true. That's true. Not like as a gift for another co-host, but yes. Um I'll never top my outing with bringing a Twilight fic from FF.net. I peaked the first year. That one so was I've been so chasing that good. high ever since. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, um, welcome to our third annual host rec exchange episode, um, modeled after the event that we do run, um, where in this episode we have all picked fix um, with another co-host in mind. So we'll get more into that in uh, each of our fic sections, but that's the theme of the episode. Since we got to pick fix for each other to read that had already been written by other people, uh, we figured for our intro it might be a fun idea to collaboratively write three fix that all three of us would really love to read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're going to be bangers. We have done this, I think, once before in an intro. Um, we are using a wonderful website called Frantic Fanfic, where the premise is that basically you and your friends um, each write a little bit of a story, and then it gets past the next person, and then the next person, and then at the end, you get to read um, what a lovely collaboration everyone has made. We had a lot of fun the last time we did this, um, but yes, we thought this time in, in a mini theme challenge, each of us is writing a section with our recipient in mind. But all three of us are going to be writing all three fics, so I think it'll be really cohesive. Really good. Ficklets, um, what your hosts thought would be a fun little intro has taken us um, nearly an hour and a half. So what I think you're going to hear shortly is um, some some typing noises and one of the stories we've written. We have three total stories, and you'll just have to wait for some bonus content to hear all of them because they are too long. So enjoy! <laughs> Here we go! All well, right. I feel like I wrote a fic more Ooh. for Nick than Reed, but... Thank you so much. I don't okay. feel good about what I wrote in <laughs> I slightest. definitely wrote this for Brenna, and I am proud of it. I've set up kind of like a, a structure, if you will. Um, so you can't... Oh my what goodness. Are what are we doing pairing? here? <laughs> Now that we have written these stories, it only took us like 10 minutes. Um, Ficklets! <laughs> Ficklets, it's been like 45 minutes! 
But hey, now that we've done that, we are going to go ahead and read the final products. Okay, this next one is called Stay Gold, Gordon. Um, I wrote this. It's Well, I started writing this. It's allegedly for a read, but it really <laughs> is It's a gift for everyone. <laughs> wow, I've never tasted something with these flavors, said Gordon Ramsay. This is exceptional. Thank you, said a teenager, Allison Argent. My friend Styles helped me with them. It includes Wolfsbane. Oh, God. <laughs> I wrote this. It's not that funny. Um, <laughs> oh, God, exclaimed Gordon. Why would you do that? Is this an attempt on my life? What? You're a werewolf, said Allison, shocked. Yes, this is common knowledge, said Gordon. That's why I like rare steaks so much. That is definitely not common knowledge, said Allison, horrified. Most people don't think werewolves are real. I didn't know that until last year. How was I supposed to know that international superstar chef Gordon Ramsay was a werewolf? We've got to get you some help. I'll take you to my friend Styles. Are you beep in kidding me? Asked Gordon Ramsay. Your friend who tried to poison me? I won't beep in have that for a second. If anything, I should tear your friend to beep in shreds until he's beep, beep, long beep. Well, don't do that, <laughs> said Allison. She pulled out a crossbow. I can just end it quickly if you'd like. Gordon Ramsay shook his head. I know it's cool when we're mean to each other, but you don't have to be that mean. Where does that leave us then? Gordon shrugged. Well, we're in America, aren't we? Let's make for the West Coast. Why? It's our destiny, Gordon said. His veins were purpling as he tilted his face towards the sun. In that moment, Allison forgot everything she knew about the feud between hunters and werewolves. It was a powerful vision. Open road. The sea ahead. I'm in. Gordon surprisingly smiled. Grab a horse and let's go. <laughs> I know just where to get us some horses. Hold on. Allison leads Gordon Ramsay to Deacon's Hospital. This is a vet. So it's... <laughs> Sorry, I, I did tense switch here, my bad. Yeah, it's okay. <clears throat> this is a vet, said Gordon Ramsay. Yes, but he's surprisingly pretty good at procuring things we need out of the blue. Oh, who's we? Your sous chef? Well, it's the ragtag <laughs> yes. group of friends who are mostly werewolves and also some not werewolves, like Styles and myself. I guess if I had a sous chef, it would be my boyfriend, Scott. He's just... You know when someone is good, down to their core? When you think someone couldn't possibly be that kind or caring? That there has to be some kind of catch? Scott's like that, but there's no catch. Allison smiles, <laughs> shyly, tucking a lock of hair behind her ear. Anyway, let's see about those horses. Deacon does, in fact, have two narratively convenient horses he keeps just somewhere in his vet office. They're already saddled up with plenty of belongings. But just as they're about to embark on their journey together, Gordon's face turns fully purple. Is this the end? Oh, shit, exclaims Allison, who is totally allowed to swear on the CW show Teen Wolf. <laughs> she bends down to check on Gordon's breathing. She had taken emergency first aid to become a lifeguard one summer, but she's never had this. Uh, she, but she's never had to save an internationally renowned chef slash werewolf before. Gordon is still breathing shallowly, but he is definitely unconscious. Allison wishes Styles were here because he'd know what to do. Suddenly, she remembers that he made her a little supernatural first aid kit once. She rummages around in her backpack until she finds it. Inside, there's a potion question mark that she dumps down Gordon's throat. Come on, she whispers to herself. It can't end like this. We we're supposed to see the beach, the sunset, to have a fulfilling narrative end to the story. Just as she begins to shed a single tear, Gordon coughs. Allison helps him up. What the bleep did you put in that? It tastes like bleep. Gordon, Allison exclaims. I'm so relieved to see you. We have to continue our emotionally significant quest across the country. We have to travel long days on horseback and sit around campfires telling stories. We have to probably save each other from some danger a few more times and learn each other's deepest secrets. We have to forge an impenetrable emotional bond that will stay, us, stay with us for the rest of our lives. 
much. I haven't read anything beyond that yet. <laughs> oh, enjoy. Oh, dude. it's a doozy. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I, I, I'm already getting that sense. This part's for you, Brenna. <laughs> Thank you. And the last part I wrote, but it was also for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's too easy, Gordon said. When do we confront our internalized homophobia or deconstruct colonial ideas of land belonging to any one person or entity? Do you have internalized homophobia? Allison asks. No, Gordon said unconvincingly. But that's beside the point. We have to create narratively fulfilling moments of imperfect human connection in order to truly tell a story about the open West. It's not about conquering our triumph. In fact, by the time we get there, we should have learned that there is no one true triumph over nature or each other or even ourselves. All things exist in tandem with one another. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it's so funny. It's like chicken wellington. <laughs> Which is beef wellington, but with chicken. Not only does the chicken need to be cooked perfectly so it doesn't poison anyone, but the pastry has to be rolled out and wrapped well, and the mushroom filling has to fill in all of the gaps. On my show's Hell's Kitchen, a beef wellington takes several chefs to prepare. Do you think any of them truly win? Do they claim victory over the others? Or do they realize their smallness in the face of a vast, empty expanse of future and give up on defining themselves in relation to the negative? I am a werewolf and I am a person. I am a chef and I am a mentor. What could a stretch of land teach me about myself that I couldn't learn in the kitchen? Allison, potential means nothing if we can't understand what is already inside of us. Oh, Allison said. Wow. I guess I get that. Does that mean we're not going west anymore? Gordon scoffed. <laughs> Don't be silly. Who of us gave up on a quest just because we realized it was fruitless? Allison thought about it. But unfortunately, the person who is writing this section of the story doesn't remember what part of Teen Wolf lore this is referencing. <laughs> Don't know that it's referencing lore. What, Sorry. What, what reference? I have no idea. <laughs> giving up on a quest because it was fruitless. I didn't know if you were oh, talking about no, Allison giving up just, on something. I'm just philosophizing. Oh, <sighs> Allison Argent giving up? Never. Not when she slashed Isaac's back with knives like 50 million times. Not when she dunked herself into an ice bath to go fight a horrible tree called the Nematon, I think. And not when the writers continued to do their whack garbage nonsense that Teen Wolf was known and loved for. You're right, she said to Gordon, holding out her hand. You may have had your, re you may have had your revelation going through the fires of Hell's Kitchen, pun intended, but I haven't yet. And in fact, I have a sneaking suspicion that if I stay in this podunk town, I'm going to end up with a horribly unsatisfying death. Or maybe with me mysteriously going to France, because that's just what people do on this show when they don't feel like being in Beacon Hills anymore. Gordon grabbed her hand. You've become very meta all of a sudden. You're referencing things you couldn't possibly know. <laughs> and it would in fact be mind-breaking to someone who truly understood the implications of what they're saying. <laughs> Allison nodded sol solemnly. I've been through a lot of bullshit, she said. Amen. Now are we getting on our bleep in horses and getting the bleep out of here or what? Fuck yeah, said Allison, who again was definitely allowed to swear even though Gordon wasn't. <laughs> As she and Gordon situated themselves in the saddle and got ready to leave, she heard someone calling her names. Her names? <laughs> her name. Allison said... No, sorry. He has to say that more emphatically. Yeah, please. Allison, said Scott, running towards her. Please, don't leave. I love you. And we're one of the only straight couples who deserves a... <laughs> <laughs> the end... <laughs> Read what was it supposed to say? <laughs> Deserves rights. Oh, okay. Okay. Read, what did you think Whoa. of your story? That was definitely for you. Yeah, that was all for you. <laughs> and no one else really? on this podcast. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. I don't know that I felt the most targeted towards me, but <laughs> Chicken Wellington <laughs> is so funny. I can't help that I did too good of a job wrenching it back to being for Brenna every time I. Yeah, you the really mic. did. Yeah. 
<laughs> and I can't help that I did a terrible job in every section of trying to make it for Reed and not just like for me. Honestly, oh, that's okay. Much like Gordon in the West, Reed had to search for the perfect choice. Tell me about the fic that you brought for me. So my fic that I brought for Nick is All I Want by Young Legends. It is a Luna, Heijin slash Hyunjin fic. Um, it is alternate universe for bodyguard, pop star. Um, okay, let me tell you how I got to this fic for Nick. Let me tell you my, my thought process. So one of the first things I went looking for was fic for Where Your Eyes Linger, which is a bodyguard show that Nick watched last year and then made Brenna request for Yuletide and then Brenna did get a gift that was like sort of on Nick's behalf secretly. It was very funny. Um, I went through the tag and unfortunately the fics that looked the most compelling were the ones that were written for Brenna and Nick. So maybe not. Um, I did also briefly peruse the Teen Wolf tag. Um, when you filter out Steric, it becomes even more lawless. It was a scary time. So I went back to my original concept of a bodyguard. Um, and then I just raw dogged the bodyguard AU tag. Um, literally just like, I think I searched by, um, like kudos or bookmarks and I filtered out some fandoms or some ships that I knew Nick would not be into, but I was just like going through it. Um, and going through it isn't going through the tag. I was not having a bad time. Um, skim read a bunch of things and then I saw this one and I was like, this looks interesting. And I read it and I loved it. And I thought that Nick would really like it. So the premise of this fic, um, I will read you the summary, is Heejin is the nation's darling, a disaster in dating, and relentlessly determined to find love. Hyunjin is her bodyguard. I am not super familiar with the Luna Girls, despite this being the second Luna fic that I brought to the pod. So I did Google them. Um, some suspension of disbelief for Hyunjin being a bodyguard, but that's fine. In this <laughs> AU, she was not an idol, so maybe she just worked out and got super buff. Um... Yeah, basically, it is just Hyunjin, who is taking care of Heejin, who keeps tripping into in and out of relationships. Um, Heejin does get herself into a bit of a coming out dating scandal when she's caught dating a woman, Kim Lip. Um, so they have to deal with the repercussions of that. Yes, lots of emotions, um, lots of thoughts and feelings about fame that made me upset. Some content warnings really quick before I pass this along to my co-hosts. I am just going to sort of skim read off of what the authors put in their own um, author's notes. So uh, there is mentions of homophobia and one instance of attempted physical assault, but it's a bodyguard AU, so if like, there's no peril, what are you doing? The fic also features a lot of alcohol and sort of decisions made under the influence of alcohol. Um, so of the author's notes, I think those are the two that stand out as like content warnings, um, but I don't think anything in this fic is particularly heavy. This is also not a content warning, just a disclaimer, I guess. At the time that I picked this fic and recommended it to my co-hosts, um, this was before things kind of blew up with Luna as they currently have. Um, we support the girls. They deserve better. Chu deserves better. Anyway, she's not super in this fic, but um, the timing of this fic just happened to be while there's a lot of talk about Luna. So just putting that out there. Um, Nick, I already know what you thought about this because you told me in pre-discussion, but why don't you tell the listeners, uh, what a good job I did picking this <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, it was fine. I thought you picked it for Brenna initially. So mm -hmm. I was, like, getting kind of confused. No, I'm kidding. I loved it. Um, as we know, I am a sucker for a bodyguard, AU. It's about the devotionisms more than anything. It's just really important to me. The forbidden love, 
the dramatics, the action adventure can't. I just love all of it. I think it's so good. And like it so literalizes devotion in a way that I am kind of obsessed with. My burden is that I'm very picky about bodyguard AUs, so while it's my favorite trope, I actually haven't read that many that I really enjoyed because I'm like, I have the perfect, like the the quintessential, the platonic ideal of bodyguard AUs always exists in my head as like a general concept and genre and trope, and very few fics uh, reach that exactly. I shouldn't say reach, they don't hit it exactly in the way that I generally prefer to it, for it to be hit. So... I was like, all right, I love a bodyguard AU. I love women. I got a little nervous when Reed was like, this is the fake. Because I was like, I might love this, but what if I don't? And then I'll be really sad and I'll have to be like, well, it's okay. Um, but no, it was fantastic. This author gets it. I was so glad that we were in Hyunjin's POV for this fic. Um, she is the bodyguard. And I think that's something that I just generally really enjoy, either a dual POV or specifically the bodyguard POV, getting to kind of learn someone, meet someone, observe them so carefully and closely. Oh, it's just good. I liked it so much. I love women. I love how many women are in this fic. That is a huge perk of Luna fic. There's so many women all over the place. We love that. So I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was fantastic. I'm excited to talk about it further. And thank you, Reed. You did indeed do a very good job. I'm so pleased. Yeah, this was not chosen for me, um, but that's not to say <laughs> that I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> um, out of the three of us, though, I am not like the the bodyguard AU fan, um, although I think it's a fun, fun trope. Um, and I don't know anything about Luna. I don't know any of the girls. <laughs> um, I mean, I've heard some Luna songs, but I couldn't even tell you what they are. Um, but I, I love a girl group and I love getting to read more fic about women and like seeing girl groups represented in the K-pop fic world. So I think that's always really nice. Um, yeah, I thought this was super enjoyable. Um, I think it captures all of the hallmarks of a good bodyguard AU and like what it kind of needs to do to fulfill its promise to us the reader um i really enjoyed these characters i love that even though this wasn't canon like we still had an idol main character and it was still very much in the world of idol idoldom um which i always enjoy i tend to go for things that have a splash of canon with k-pop fic over complete AUs. um so i like that this still kind of played in that world while also like making twists to what the characters did to make the bodyguard concept work um and i think i especially like that because for me it seems like these musings on like fame and what that does to relationships and all those kind of things are so like rich within the world of k-pop fic and I like when a fic sets us up to still be able to dig into those, even if it's not exactly in like the canon context. I think this one did that very well, and I really liked it. Yes, agreed. I think um, the fact that like Heejin is a solo artist and that we're still sort of entangled in the world of like being an idol and not like just like a general celebrity or like some different kind of bodyguard of you, I think also is part of what I loved so much about this fic. Um, I think this fic did a phenomenal job of just like throwing you into the world and getting you so on track with like the characters that it's presenting it has two really lovely epigraphs to start one by lemony snicket and one a carly ray jepsen lyric that inspired the fic and i think both of those set the tone perfectly um but right off the bat it gives you this picture of heejin as like the nation's darling she's an idol but she's also a model she's an actress she's in every ad like plastered across billboards um 
she keeps falling into these relationships sort of like heart first and then calling Hyunjin in the dead of night, like crying about it. And Hyunjin comes across as like practical, but still like not removed. She's never like removed. She cares so much about Heejin, but it's just this sort of like, okay, I'm looking after you. I'm sort of going to like pick you up off the floor and I'm going to put a nice coffee into your hand. I'm going to like shepherd you through all of these things that you're doing and take care of you in the way that I have to because that's my job, but also like because I care about you so much. Um... I think the way that this fix set up their dynamic was so delightful and good. And, like, the prose is so fun and snappy. I'm thinking about, like, pretty early into the fic where it sort of talks about where Hyunjin and Heejin have only known each other for a couple days and immediately are becoming friends. And it says, like, they've shot professionalism to put it out of its misery at this point. So Hyunjin raises an eyebrow and takes the bait. And, like, <laughs> it's fun. It's funny. Their dynamic was delightful. Um, and I think, like... Ooh, all the more potent for the fact that you find out that Hyunjin had tried to be an idol, that she auditioned for YG and then got turned down, but she's still sort of like on the periphery of that world. It's good stuff. It's such good stuff. I also think one thing I loved about this fic is that Hyunjin is such the quintessential bodyguard charge. In this fic, she is cheerful. She is bubbly. She is everywhere. She is way too famous for her own good. She is underestimating threats left and right. She is absolutely delighting in her relationship with Hyunjin. She is pretending to forget that Hyunjin is her bodyguard at any given moment. She is reaching out for nonsense. She is used to being given everything that she has ever wanted in her entire life. And also, there is this I don't know, edge of sadness to her that I really appreciated and enjoyed. And you you learn later on in the fic, right, that that edge of sadness is largely due to mm, relationships in general, her love for Hyunjin that she is not sure is requited or not, um, her many, many failed relationships over time that she sort of tried in and realized that they're not working for one reason or another. And I think it speaks partially to one thing that we do talk about semi-frequently on this podcast, because we love to talk about fame every time we do our PF, it comes up, uh, as it should. Um, but it speaks to this idea of this almost like intrinsic sadness when you can never be 100% sure that your connections are real, that your connections are about you, that you haven't lost some part of yourself that was able to genuinely connect through everything. Like when you are a brand, how do you ever actually connect with other people i don't know i think about this a lot as FitClick has gotten massive um mm -hmm. we're like celebrities in <laughs> online spaces like every time like you know the it's the equivalent online of walking through your old high school and everyone high fives you in the hallways that's how i feel just like being on tumblr for example so uh -huh. it's hard yeah so i carry this intrinsic yeah. sadness with me and I <laughs> felt like I could relate to each oh, man. I'm so sorry. Oh, maybe that's just the depression. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I could relate to, to Heejin through this fic. I really appreciated her um, her character in this. And her character through Hyunjin's eyes, especially. Hyunjin looks at Heejin so generously, but also so frankly. Hyunjin is not a celebrity. Hyunjin is not an idol. Hyunjin has a very cynical take on the entertainment industry, in part because she was rejected, and also in part because she is hired literally to see the ugliest bits of it. Um, so I think all of that together coalesced into such a great character duo. I need people to take notes. I want more bodyguard A's, and I want them to look like this. Yeah, absolutely agreed. I think one other thing I really liked about this fic is... Uh, how it introduced us to like the other members of Luna that it brought in as kind of other main or like mainish side characters, other central figures within this story. Um, I think that's always something that's challenging when you're writing a fic 
that has an ensemble cast that you're kind of breaking up now. Like you've made Heejin a soloist. So like, what do you do with the rest of them? Um, and obviously you could just like, you don't have to put everyone in the story and this doesn't put everyone in the story. I don't think I, again, I don't know the members of Luna, but there's a lot of them and this didn't seem to have all of them. <laughs> no, we were missing a few for sure. Um, but it definitely introduces a few others as like pretty central figures. And I like the ways that it like wove them into the entertainment industry too. Um, <laughs> What? I like <laughs> Sorry, it's a tweet reference. I typed yeah. why is Hosuck the bus driver into the Zoom chat? Because it's from a tweet where someone was like, I find it so weird when people feel like they have to include every member of a group in their fic. Like, oh. why is Hosuck the bus driver? <laughs> yeah, and I feel like you do see that a ton, especially in like K-pop RPF more so than like, I don't know, maybe like sports RPF because like you like you realize, oh, there's like 20 guys on a team. We don't, we can't we're not putting all of them in here. Yeah. Um, well, also, but like try to sell that like narrative of destiny. Exactly. Like, they were always going to be connected in some way. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's really interesting when people say, OK, like what what does that do to these relationships when we kind of take away that like they're destined to be together in this group kind of thing and like are we still writing that they're destined to be together in some other way are some of them more destined than others like i don't know i mean this i feel like is very much saying like hyunjin and heejin are destined um and also the other ones whose names i've promptly forgotten i'm so sorry uh, they both started with jay thank you <laughs> Also, I think, I mean, Young and Jinsel have a really interesting relationship here. That's Eve and Jinsel. Uh, they're also a side pairing that we get a lot of. Yeah, like, I, I think it's just, like, I like seeing what authors do, again, like, when it's sort of like, ooh, we're tangential from what we really have. And, like, what does that give us space to play with in terms of the narratives of these girls and, like, their lives and what's important? And um, I feel like it's so... For me, it's one of those things, too, where it's like when someone's been an idol for so long and we know them so much through the lens of them being an idol and like we know their idol personality and it's not even necessarily that like their real life personality is like so far different from what they publicly show. It's more that like they can't not have a personality that is shaped by being an idol when you are an idol in this way for so long. Like, I don't think that that's really possible to not have that impact who you've become as a person. So, like, what does that do with their character when we completely take them out of the entertainment industry and, like, out of wanting these things? Um, so I think especially, like, coming into this not really knowing these girls, but knowing that they are idols and, like, also now knowing that their company has been absolute shit garbage to them. Mm. Um, which, like, I didn't really know anything about Luna, but, like, boy, howdy, have I seen some stuff in the last week. Um, it really, like, I don't know, that did add, like... I, we're not like getting into that, I know, but that the the timing of reading this did add some like flavor <laughs> to me sure. of being like, oh my god. But also like in this other universe where like they all did make it into being singers and we have Luna the way that we have Luna, like it's so good in some ways and also like effed up in other ways. And is it better when they don't all make it? Is it better to have this? Like, I don't know. But also some people's dreams were crushed. So um Glad Tianjin is finding fulfillment in bodyguarding and also later in love. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. That was definitely like playing on my mind with like the timing that we read this during, um, even though it's not like an intentional thing by the author. When our world is the dystopia. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, Bren. And, and kind of off of that point, I know I mentioned it before, but at first you get this glimpse of Hyunjin where she is, as Nick said, like kind of like frank, 
Um, and she's caring, but, you know, she's she feels like a little bit at a distance from the whole, like, fame thing. And then you get these little bits of the fact that, like, she wanted to be an idol. Um, and her, like, observing Heejin being an idol. There's a bit where Heejin is on a variety show with Cherry and Kim Lip. And, like, she's kind of doting all over Cherry and Hyunjin thinks, like, she should have been in a group. Like, she should have had people that she could dote upon, like, like this. Or you get the scene where young childhood Hyunjin was standing before her mirror with a hairbrush, like, pretending to sing out for a crowd of thousands. But now she's only reaching Heejin. But, you know, Heejin is this girl who's on top of the world. And, like, she's just as, like, lonely as the rest of them. It is so good and so potent. I feel like all of the little sort of, like, nods to alternate realities like the sort of the what ifs of this fic they were kind of like an it was like an underlying thing it wasn't the main part of the fic but the like what ifs of if this was different if this was different if if our careers had looked like this or if our relationship had looked like this like even heejin brings it up at the end um when she's trying so desperately to get hyunjin to say that hyunjin wants her back where she's like what if you weren't my bodyguard like what if i wasn't an idol what if we were just two people in their 20-somethings who were allowed to love each other and i was like i'm rattling my phone i am rattling everything i'm rattling my bones like <laughs> oh, <laughs> all of them oh, at once clink, clink. yeah like maracas clink, 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 clink. <laughs> but it's just my body <laughs> Oh god. Okay, I do want to talk about the the Soo Young Jin Sol relationship. They're they're a side pairing. Jin Sol is Hyunjin's bestie. They've been best friends ever since Jin Sol saw Hyunjin doing bodyguard shit basically in a club and Jin Sol kind of rescued her from getting herself into legal trouble by beating this guy up. And they became best friends and they've been friends ever since. Ever since that time, really, Jin Sol and Soo Young have this sort of on again, off again, kind of friends with benefits ish situation that Jin Sol doesn't seem super happy with. Soo Young seems to have a hard time committing. It's like this challenging, weird relationship. I absolutely love that this was a side pairing here and that we got to see glimpses of it because I think not only did we get to see like a really interesting dynamic that I think a lot of authors don't necessarily go with when you're looking at like, oh yeah, these girls who are all destined for each other, like what would it be like in an AU? You don't usually get like complicated relationship that might be hurting both of them. Um, but I feel like it also gave us an insight into Hyunjin's mindset and Hyunjin's like self-awareness when she was looking at them, like what was she seeing? Young and Jin Sol have a relationship that's quite different from Hyunjin and Heejin, almost opposite in a certain way. I guess you could call them a narrative foil if you want to. Because Hyunjin and Heejin are very, very close, very emotionally intimate, and they're not talking about what that intimacy means or looks like. Obviously, Hyunjin would, and spoilers, beep beep, does lose her job um, because of wanting to be with Heejin. Um... And so they don't have any of the physical intimacy and they don't have any of the, I don't know, almost like, it's almost a breath of fresh air to see a relationship where things are so messy because at least it means that they're allowed to have messiness in the relationship where Hyunjin's POV feels very constrained to like, I have to be this exact person for Heech and I have to be in this one role and I have to do it right and I have to do it well or things are going to go really badly. Like it could be physically dangerous for Heejin if I don't keep my eyes on the prize where the prize is her safety versus Suyoung and Jinsol who are just sort of messing around and hurting each other as they do so. Towards the very end of the fic, we get a moment where Hyunjin finally looks upon them much more generously and is able to see that there is genuine love and affection there, even if it's not this perfect way that she would look at it. I've also been thinking a lot recently about um, queer narratives and who queer narratives are for. 
I'm getting into a tangent here. I'm going to keep going um, because I read a lot of books this year, many, many books with queer characters, with queer authors, with queer romance. And I think some of them have felt a lot nicer, cuter than others. So like some of the romances, right, are very like, I don't know, almost hallmarky, almost like anyone can read this, even if you're straight and you'll still like relate and like these characters versus a few of the others I've read, some short stories I read recently. Autostraddle is an online publication that I highly recommend folks check out, uh, led by queer women, uh, super diverse staff. They pay their writers. We love that. Um, and they put out a lot of short fiction playlists and they put out a recent queer short fiction playlist for Thanksgiving. So I was like, oh, I'll read these stories. Maybe I'll find one that I like. All five of them were bangers. Um, and one of them led me to reading the book, A Minor Chorus, a novel by Billy Ray Belcourt, which I just finished a couple days ago. Um, I'm obsessed. It was five stars, but it felt so refreshing to be like, oh my God, this is a portrait of a queer dude, like written by a queer dude who's just living his life and who is not having a fairy tale romance at any point, who is like making weird, bad decisions, who is sleeping with people that he's not in love with. Like it just felt so... It's a relief sometimes to get to read stories that feel real and flawed and like messy and that are not for straight person consumption or acceptance or appreciation, uh, which is not to say that a straight person can't read a story like that and enjoy it. But I also think... Get out of here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it's just it's it's a question of authenticity and audience. Um, and I really appreciated the determination with which... which a minor chorus was not for like straight white people, especially. Um, I just loved that. And I'm not comparing this fic to that book necessarily, because I think there are a <laughs> lot of differences. But the soothing Jinsel relationship being so messy felt like something we don't get to see a ton um, in fic necessarily, um, unless it ends in a very happy, tied up, neat, tidy way. So I was appreciative of that. I enjoyed it. And I think that's a reason why it stuck with me, even though it is relatively minor in terms of the full scope of the story. Thank you. <laughs> Completely opposite of what Nick was just saying. I want to talk about like love and intimacy that did sort of get <laughs> a nice ending. <laughs> um, but I want to specifically talk about like so we get very early in the fic, and it comes up a couple of different times. Heejin, usually drunk, very sad at night, calling Hyunjin to lament about whatever is happening in her romantic life at the moment. Um, and sort of through these phone calls, you get Hyunjin feeling very vulnerable, but Hyunjin also sort of talking about the fact that she, she doesn't really buy into the concept of like a the one, like there is a person and a soulmate and everything's going to like fall together neatly. Um, and I was thinking so much in this fic about like sort of the different approaches that Heejin and Hyunjin have to love um, and the different ways that we get to see them sort of embody it. And we do get at the very end and it was like almost like saccharine sweet, but I was like, you know what? They deserve it. Let them be happy. Um, you get they kiss, but then Hyunjin runs away and it's kind of fraught and whatnot. And then three in the morning, Hyunjin is calling Heejin after they haven't talked for a little while. And she asks her like, like, how do you know that this is real? Like, are you still, like, just looking for something and, like, hoping that I'm it? Like, how do you know? Um, and Heejin goes, how else am I supposed to know? I tried to live with it. I tried to look for it in other places, in other people. God, anyone who would look at me twice, anyone who would take me. I tried everything else, and now there's only one thing left to try, only one to want. And I don't think you'd be calling me up at 3 a.m. if some part of you didn't believe it, too. Do you? And I was hurtling yeah. because there's something <laughs> so 
soft and intimate about that sort of like the phone calls in the middle of the night and the way that things get like quiet and tender and like a little bit other almost like distant from you even though you're also so deep in it and it's like you get to spill all of your secrets softly into the phone and in the light of day you can blink them all away and pretend they don't exist except they won't do that because they're confessing things to each other and I just thought it was so I thought the love was so nice in this fic the love was so nice in this fic especially because as Nick mentioned at the beginning it's got bodyguard devotion <laughs> and we love that <laughs> um like like many good bodyguard AUs, this does uh, include a moment where Hyunjin throws herself into danger to protect Heejin um, shortly before they are like, wow, we're in love with each other. Um, and all the sort of walls of the last two years where they've pr both pretended that they don't feel this way have come crumbling down. Um, and then they make out and then things go badly again for a bit and then they make out again, but happier. Um <laughs> good summary. Um, yeah, I love those scenes. I was like waiting with bated breath for the moment where Hyunjin would do something like that. I, I could I could have used even more of yeah. it if we're being honest. I could have used um, like 40k I, of just that. Yeah, I love that I, kind like, of stuff. Give me more peril. Like give me more extended scenes. The slow-mo moment of watching someone go towards Hyunjin and Hyunjin's like dramatic save. But like give it to me multiple times. <laughs> I, not, I don't mm -hmm. want Heejin to be in danger, but also like I do want those moments of peril and protection. Like a K-drama where it pauses and then rewinds from several angles. That's what I need. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and we get it at like, this is like, like Hyunjin running towards that random man is like the very last like two minutes of the K-drama episode. And it's like in slow motion. And as she like jumps to tackle him or something, it starts like with the like blurry star effect uh -huh, and it starts uh -huh. playing the outro credit song. And then the <gasps> next time it like rewinds three minutes and we see the whole scene play out yeah, for like yeah. 15 minutes of the beginning of the episode. <laughs> I love K-dramas. Um <laughs> oh, man. But I also, I did like, even though I could have used more of Hyunjin throwing herself into peril because it's so good. I just, I could, I could eat it with a spoon like pudding. Um, Amen. <laughs> I also did like that we just got to see a lot of like normal bodyguard stuff. Nice. I liked that like Hyunjin was kind of like, okay, actually all of my assignments where I was protecting way less famous people included so much more drama and angst and like trouble than like protecting this like super famous idol like actually we are just like i'm hanging out in her green room like all the time um and i like the scene where like while heejin and um jungyun are like supposedly dating i don't know we can get into that later but they're like on a date and they're at this cafe and hyunjin is there too um and like i like that like jungun is like oh yeah but like your bodyguard's like your best friend so like she's here all the time my bodyguard's like outside and he's some dude yeah. i don't talk to <laughs> um so i did like that like we also got sort of this outside viewpoint from another similar idol of like y'all are like close and like that's nice but also like a little bit like baby eye emoji um i don't know i feel like that's sometimes it's really nice to have that moment of like when a relationship is acknowledged from an outside uh perspective and like we get this sort of validation that like we as a reader are reading it in the correct way um so yeah i did like the balance that this provided to us of like it's not just like the stoic unspeaking non-friendly bodyguard who like does have love secretly deep in their heart and like that has to be revealed slowly across this like they become buddies and i thought that was like really sweet um and then of course we have to have Hyunjin throwing herself in danger's way um yeah 
yeah and the k-drama ost kicks in yeah please. probably sung by heejin to be honest or like the actress who plays heejin um yeah 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 the actress who plays <laughs> well you know because if heejin's a character yeah, in this right, right. you know you know no, what I i'm saying you. i get you um but i love k-dramas yeah, wow. I feel like I have so much more I could say about this fic, but we have already been pretty bad about our timing um, this episode, so I am going to wrap our discussion. Season, and we are so, we're so good at timing. We are so good. Our first ever Ultimate over two hour episode for no reason. <laughs> Literally, though. Um, yeah, I had an absolute blast uh, reading this, wrecking this, and discussing this with my friends. Nick, in particular, I am so glad that you liked this um, because I really thought you would, and I am Thank gratified you. to have been right. It would have been very sad if you were like, mm, no. So I am glad, but I am, yeah, I'm glad that both of you liked this. I thought it was just a very well done fic um, and definitely like easily accessible for people who do not know anything about Luna um, and just want that good bodyguard trope. In this fic, Hyunjin kept a close eye on Heejin. In the next fic, law enforcement keeps a close eye on Neil's paintings. Brenna? Alright, so my pick for this episode was Jeffrey Nullier's Man with Fedora by Copper Badge. Uh, this was a gift in this episode for my lovely co-host Reed. Uh, this is a genfic for White Collar, and we have recently been watching White Collar together, uh, the second time watching it for me and the first time watching it for Reed. So I thought it'd be very fun to bring a White Collar fic for the pod um, for this reason. I did look around at some other fandoms and I said, wow, I'm having no luck. And also, I don't know these fandoms. And then I said, I know what I know. Well, actually, my mom said, hey, you know what you know. I was going to say, please, you've got to give mom of the pod her credit. Yeah, because I was complaining about this. And she was like, well, White Collar has fic, probably, right? And I was like, oh, ho, it does indeed. But then I didn't really want to pick something shippy because, honestly, I don't really ship the ships for this show. Um, and I feel like, especially on this rewatch, I'm like, no. Um, but I love the characters. So I was really pleased to find this one that was Jen and very much just like the relationships that exist in the show, like, you know, like Elizabeth and Peter are together and stuff. Um, but it very much feels like it's a extra episode of White Collar um, that Copper Badge has written which was my goal. Um, so as as stated, this is basically kind of like an episode um, where uh, some paintings are like stolen and then other ones come up for auction that are forgeries and they're like, who is this man? Jeffrey Nullier. It could be Nullier. I don't know. I'm saying Nullier. Sorry, Copper Badge. Um, I There was a podfic for this at one point, but it doesn't seem to exist on the internet anymore. So I'm, I'm just going going rogue. Um, they're like, who, who is this Jeffrey, Jeffrey Nullier? And then uh, Neil starts to get in trouble because his prints are on some of the paintings. And then he's like, no, it was it was me. It was literally me. I, I made these paintings. Stop. Stop it. Um, <laughs> Knock it out. And they still have to figure out what's going on with, with the paintings. So it's a whole little case. Um, there's one main co content warning I will give for this fic. Everything else is kind of like if you've watched White Collar, you're familiar with kind of the behavior it's also like white collar tends to not be like a graphically violent police procedural compared to other ones of the time um there is an oc in this fic uh who like struggles with her mental health and is written to have undiagnosed schizophrenia um and she is like our villain kind of character in this fic um i don't villain is a kind of a tough word but she is she is the culprit sorry spoiler spoiler warnings boop 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 um 
she's the one who's kind of been committing these these crimes regarding these paintings and um it's a bit rough how it handles uh the mental health aspects and kind of what happens with this character we'll get into some of that later um because i also think some of that has to do with a larger conversation about portrayals of mental health in general and especially in sort of procedurals from this time period um not just copper badges writing uh so we'll talk about that a little bit in this discussion i know we have things to say uh but that is sort of the major content warning i would offer for this fic otherwise um it's pretty tame in terms of any sort of violence or anything like that um before i get further into the fic read my co-host i brought this for what did you think I had so much fun with this fic. Um, I thought it was such a good fandom poll, so shout out to Mom of the Pod. Uh, good suggestion. I think you absolutely nailed it in looking for a fic that felt like a little slice of an episode. Um, this one very much achieved that. It like felt spot on in terms of like the way that like um, the characters were speaking and interacting with each other and whatnot. And it was fun for me because I used to read a lot of Copper Badge um, back in the heyday of my Stony era. Copper Badge has written many, many, many a Marvel fic, and I have consumed a lot of them. Um, so this was like a fun sort of almost like blending of old and new fandom, but it feels weird saying that because like, is White Collar a new fandom when it's a show that came out like a decade ago? And like, am I fandoming in it so much as I'm just like enjoying watching it with a friend? It's, it's new to you. It is new to me. Um... While I am not sort of, I guess, like participating in it in any other traditional fandom sense, I have really been having a lot of fun watching it with Bretta. And so it was very fun to be with the characters in this space. And I agree, like, I'm not really in it for like the ships, but I think like the way that Neil is in this fic with Peter and with Elizabeth is like very caring and very sweet and feels very like reflective of the show as I have watched it up until this point, which is almost all the way through season two. Um, so, yes, I had a lot of fun with this. Um, Definitely a lot of thoughts to get into, and I am excited to do so. Yeah, this felt so much like an episode of White Collar. It's not a show that I've seen in quite a while, but it's so nice when you get a fic that so perfectly encompasses what you like about a fandom. I think we all love fics that are very, very transformative and that go into like drastic AUs or canon divergences, like big surprises, big swings, the big drama. Oh, wow, that's like so innovative and different. But also, I think part of why it's not the only reason, but one reason that you go to fic is because you like the thing so much that you want more of it. Um, I want more of it exactly the way that it is. The three of us are all quite big fans of canon compliant fic, I think partly for that reason. And so this was such a classic case fic, episode fic, however you want to define it. Um, it felt so accurate to the arc of a white collar episode. Um, if you enjoy those beats, if you enjoy that kind of like lived in feeling, especially if you've seen the show before or a different show like it, it will feel very familiar. And I think that made it very readable. Um, I do have an admission to make ficlets, which is that when we got to our pre-discussion, I was like, it was really fun, but I was like surprised that the ending was so open. Like we didn't find out who did it or anything. Like it was just like a weird poetic decision in a way. Uh, no, ficlets, I had read chapter one only. There are two chapters of this fic and I had read 50% of them. <laughs> Oops. I had to go back and read the other chapter, don't worry. Um, but I think I had thought it was more experimental, sparse, and minimalistic <laughs> than it actually was. So if you read this and you're like, huh, weird ending, I encourage you to look for the next chapter button. This might just have been a me <laughs> issue, but in case anyone else comes across this, 
Hey, I had check the same issue, but I had the same issue for like 20 seconds yeah. where I got to the end of chapter one and I was like, I don't know that that's like the most satisfying ending. I was like, there's so much that's just sort of open. And then like, I was a little bit confused. And then I also realized it was next chapter. So yeah, I lived with the thought that it was one chapter for like eight hours, maybe. <laughs> it's a hard life. Well, you got there in, in the end. I did. I got to the end eventually. And it does end uh, in a much rounder way than I thought that it did. This reminds me of when I brought that um, Spider-Verse fic that was like so um, like multimedia heavy, like based on like tweets and whatever. And I was like, I think this formatting is so interesting and innovative. And Brenna was like, this is unreadable because you had it was literally your skin off. <laughs> I don't. I don't like. Brenna skins. was reading only the alt text. <laughs> it was very. Tough. I don't know how you like. First of all, I'm impressed that you I powered didn't get through. very far. <laughs> you got through like a chapter you though. Got through enough that it was impressive. Thank and like you. also, it was both impressive and also like a little bit like. Do you think my judgment is that bad that I would bring a fic <laughs> well, like I that? Like, maybe we really see something in this that I'm just missing. <laughs> <sighs> No such issues with this white collar fic. It is a pretty standard. Um, it looks AO3 like fic. fic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> looks like fic. Reads like fic. Is fic <laughs> confirmed? Um, yeah. One thing I really liked about this fic is that I think it touches on a bunch of themes that I view as kind of underlying for white collar, and the show itself doesn't touch on that much, but I think are very much there for the taking for uh, fic writers. Um, and a lot of this has to do with, like, identity and authenticity. Like, Neil is someone who has been living a million different lives and, like, is a con artist and, like, has very few people in his life so far up to this point who have kind of, like, known him for Neil and, like, known sort of various aspects of him and, like, known him in totality. In the show, we kind of only have Kate, who, like, dies at the end of season one, and I think she stays dead. I don't know. Reed and I haven't gotten past, like, halfway through season two. <laughs> I don't remember. Um, I think I watched, like, partway through season very good. three, but I don't remember. Anyone could come back. I don't, I don't know. I think she's dead. Um, at least she's dead currently in, uh, I think, both this fic and also where Reed and I are in watching White Collar. And then Mozzie, who is his, like, con artist buddy um who like we as as viewers like mozzie is such an enigma but like mozzie does seem to know a lot about neil and like kind of be able to see all these different sides of him but he, i like that this fic really kind of plays around with and digs into like these different sides of neil and also that it's sort of focused on this thing that he did that like he references as a con later on and peter's kind of like that wasn't a con like who are you conning you were just making art and you know, it's kind of a weird conversation between them, but that is a good point from Peter. And I I just like the sort of identity aspects that this plays around with and sort of like who gets to know people for like who they really are and like what do we know of people? Like how do we, do we ever get to fully see all of the sides of someone? And like for Neil, they're so clearly these different personas and these different names that he's given to these different sides of himself. And now that he's like Nicole trying- Vin. Nick Holden because he can't think of fucking Nick Holden um just Neil I'm begging you to get another name for like an alias I'm begging you (laughs) no read every time it's Nick Holden Um, Holden is a a man of many talents he really is but I think something that's so interesting about white collar as a show that's sort of you know very underlying the show does not really get into it overtly is that like this is Neil trying to be Neil Caffrey who's owning up to a lot of these things that he did 
Pryor as both Neil Caffrey and also many other aliases, 90% of which seem to be Nick Halden. <laughs> um, but also, like, how does he kind of move forward and become someone who, like, these various pasts are still this present person? And, like, what do you do with that moving forward? And, like, how do you forge your identity? Um, so... I think this I think this fic also like it doesn't get into it so overtly and there's some kind of more I want to say about that with like art and depictions as well but that was something that I liked about this and I think is like just a really interesting kind of aspect to white collar with all of the various I like aspects of sort of con artistry and identity stuff um that I think is like interesting to explore. Yeah, well, I think, too, for me, one of my favorite parts of this fic is this moment that's almost tragic, where Peter starts to bring up this idea of, like, you made this really beautiful art. It was selling, right? You were making it at times when you were, like, doing your cons, and it was, like, a, a little throwaway joke to you, but it was selling, and you were making money. And I don't understand why you kept stealing, why you kept forging, why you kept lying. Like, this could have been your ticket out. Um, and Neil's response is very, very flippant. He kind of closes off and you get the sense that it's impossible for him to imagine out, um, even as quote unquote out as he is in the show when he's like a criminal expert, whatever, um, helping law enforcement. You still get the sense that there's part of him that is never going to be able to understand or accept what it would be like to be on the other side of a life of crime, a life of theft, a life of lying, a life of forgery. And that felt like this really small moment that was so touching and carefully executed. I really, really liked that as like a moment, as a theme, and also just as a reflection of Neil's character, both in this fic and in the show, because the fic is so closely tied to the structure of an episode of the show, it makes sense that the reflections that it makes are going to feel very, very connected to those show characters and their broader context as well. So I love that. Yeah, because I think in that conversation where he is sort of flippant, he's like, oh, whatever, like it was a silly little thing I was doing. As Brenna said, he references it being a con, even though nothing illegal was happening. But then later you do sort of see how much the art means to him because a lot of the art has some sort of like figure in it, um, like some person. And he starts like sort of like going through and he even, spoilers for the very end of the fic, um, under Jeffrey, Jeffrey Nullier's, um alias, he does end up like, claiming who is in each photo but there's there's depictions of kate there's multiple depictions of peter there's a guy that he met in a museum um just like one day like in passing like you kind of get the hint or like you get the sense that like these actually mean quite a lot to neil but he's so unwilling to ever just like say it as such he's so unwilling to like put himself out there in that way it's like a, it's a kind of vulnerability that i think is like intrinsically something neil shies away from yeah, absolutely. And I, I kind of wanted to get into, too, like the fact that all of these paintings are sort of these, they don't include the names of their actual subjects. They're things like Man with Fedora and Field Number Two, but they are depictions of people Neil has really known, as as Reed said. And this is also getting into some of the stuff about like our OC bad guy, Christina, in this, uh, I was gonna say episode, <laughs> in this fic. Um, and I know Nick has some stuff that they will say more eloquently than me about the mental health depictions that I want to let them say in a moment. But there is a conversation that happens between Christina and Neil in the second chapter. Um, that's sort of an inter. I mean, it is an interrogation scene, but also like Neil's not very good at interrogating because he's Neil. Like, you know, um, why are they even letting him in there? Unclear. Um, but I think 
that's a conversation that I've been really turning around in my head for a number of reasons over the last like 24 hours. And I reread it again today. And it's a scene I struggle with a little bit because it's not like the kindest scene to Christina. But also, I think both of her perspective and Neil's perspective are kind of interesting regarding the art itself and the fact that it's these depictions of real people that Neil has known, especially when we kind of look at the identity aspects of what this fic is talking about. Because Neil basically says to her, like, why did you take them? Like, you took my people, basically. And Christina's like, I'm keeping them safe. Um, And I thought that was just really interesting because I feel like Neil is someone who doesn't see himself as being able to keep those who are close to him safe. Like, I think he puts so much blame on himself for basically having led to Kate's death and, like, sees himself as someone where if you get too close to him, you're immediately in danger. You are not Like, you're not safe if you're close to him. And it's okay when it's Peter because Peter's a law enforcement agent. It's okay when it's Elizabeth because Elizabeth's husband is Peter. It's okay with Mozzie because Mozzie can protect himself. But it's not okay when it's these more, like, innocent people, you know? And so I just thought that, like, sort of turning that over in my head along with my own meta-analysis of Neil Caffrey, (laughs) I, like, found more to mine from that scene, I think, than I initially did because I think it's just, like, the decision to have kind of Christina view it as something that she needs to protect was very interesting, like in tandem with Neil's feelings of kind of also needing to protect these people to keep them anonymous, almost like the fact that he can't say like, that's Kate, that's Peter in these paintings. Like they have to be field number two in order to keep this separation between him and this person he cares about who would be like in danger if, so I don't know. I did think that part was interesting and like, Again, I I like the idea that like we're playing a lot with assumed identity and depictions of identity and art is a very literal depiction of identity. So I I liked what the art and the fact that like Copper Badge had Neil do these portraits. I thought that was a very smart choice in terms of the discussion of kind of what people are in this fic. Yeah. Side note before I jump into other stuff, uh, there is some fan art uh, that's in the listed in the works inspired mm. by this one of folks who have drawn or painted some of these portraits so good highly recommend checking those yeah. out and so cool and so phantom to be like "Ooh, mm-hmm. i can just picture that so what if i like Ding, here you go <laughs> now it exists so so cool i loved that it's like it's like man with fedora by copper badge by neil caffrey by <laughs> yeah, insert yeah. person who drew it <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly everyone's signature is just stacking in the bottom right corner i love it um yes okay thoughts so Christina in this fic, she wrote her thesis from what I understand on Jeffrey Nullier. She's like a big fan. She shows up, lies her way into this exhibit that they've set up kind of as a sting. They're trying to get a sense of like, who do we think could be stealing these paintings? For context, the case here, right, is that Jeffrey Nullier's paintings keep going missing. And then we find out partway through chapter one that Neil is the actual artist. Neil is Jeffrey Nullier. It's a very personal case to him in that case. So Christina ends up being our culprit. We don't really have other suspects, if I'm honest. There's like one random guy who's like expressing interest, but he's just a fan, I think. Um, Well, and like we do learn that she's hired some people to actually do some of the stealing for her. So I guess they're implicated as well, but we don't really get names for them. Correct. Yeah. So this fic is not so much a mystery and like a whodunit as it is, again, like a procedural episode and also kind of a thriller, I guess, to some degree. Um... Christina is described as having undiagnosed schizophrenia, which is then kind of diagnosed by the psychiatrist that they bring in to do a psychological assessment. Okay, 
I have a lot of feelings about portrayals of what we consider like critical mental health diagnoses in media. Schizophrenia is one of them. We also see like severe, like suicidal major depressive disorder in that category. We see bipolar 2 in that category and bipolar 1. Um psychosis in general, delusional disorder. Um, there's a lot of these disorders that are seen as more intense, more severe, and more quote-unquote scary by the general public. Schizophrenia is very high on that list in part because a lot of folks who have schizophrenia end up unhoused um, due to lack of social supports. I struggle, and this is a thing that happens in procedurals, it happens across general media, it happens in a lot of fan fiction, let me tell you, as someone who reads a lot of fan fiction. It happens that someone who has what we consider a more severe mental disorder is painted as the villain, is considered to be someone who is violent, who is unhinged, who is not in control of their own actions, who is unable to separate right from wrong, um, who just kind of does stuff impulsively and is impossible to make sense of. And so people think, okay, that makes a good and interesting villain, potentially. Um, procedurals and stories that involve law enforcement are very, very interested in locating fault and locating a villain and locating blame and frequently do find that in someone who has one of these diagnoses. The reality of this world is that somebody who has been diagnosed with schizophrenia or undiagnosed right and has the symptoms is significantly like by multiples more likely to be a victim of violence than to have perpetrated the violence themselves. And if we're ever looking for a perspective on like liberation and generosity towards people who have this marginalized identity, who are kind of left behind by society, we're never going to find it in a law enforcement procedural. It just isn't going to happen. Um, that kind of liberation isn't there. So I struggle with the sheer breadth of media that refuses to engage with the idea that a diagnosis like this is not the end of your life. Um, that there are people who have recovered and live happily, that there are people who are able to manage it with medication and resources and social supports. Uh, the, the image I think that our society likes to paint is that people are hopeless cases. Um, and that's just not something that I fundamentally can agree with based on my own experience in the world and my own experience, just like as a person who believes that people deserve to have good things if they can have them. Uh, so I think it's my issues and struggles are a lot less about this one particular portrayal of a character. Um, because this felt very realistic. You could see this happen on White Collar easily. You could see this happen on what are the other shows like Criminal Minds, Cat Castle, bones are these all still procedural <laughs> law enforcement shows well, i don't think they're like on but they were like relevant to that time um procedurals yeah right okay i'm making sure i almost said house but that's like a medical show also like elementary <laughs> which we just talked about yes, and like totally. yeah um and cis or whatever all of those right um yeah where we're taking law a law enforcement officer typically is our protagonist and our hero and the person who has like the right instincts on things um, so I just wanted to say kind of like that whole piece, uh, because it feels important and it's something that comes up a lot. Um, and that I think a lot of folks, because in most cases, people are not getting educated about these things, they might not have the language or the knowledge to be able to articulate this. Um, I certainly did not do it perfectly, but I hope that this can, if, if you've also struggled with this in the past, I hope it can give you some, I don't know, comfort to know that someone else out there is feeling the same thing. Um, and just having a lot of feelings in general about this theme across media. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like, this is a fic written and posted in 2010. I also don't have any way of knowing what Copper Badge was, like, what what was going on in their brain while they were writing this, you know? like 
um, so we have to just view this as kind of a work outside of like the author's intentions and also within the context of what the show would do. And I think this was honestly a far kinder to this OC that it made up than most shows at that time would have been. And again, not to kind of put thoughts in Copper Badge's head because I don't know them as a person, but in some ways it kind of feels like they wrote themselves into a corner a little bit with this one where they wrote this OC that you can tell that they do want to be sympathetic towards. Like, they, I feel like they try for the best outcome that they can give them, but they wrote them into a police procedural where good things don't really happen to our people who have committed crimes. So it's a tough one. Unless um, you're Neil Caffrey, who gets a uh, whatever Peter wants right. him to do is fine. Right. He's, right. he's allowed P- Neil Caffrey hosting a permit to do anything. Yeah, if you're a charismatic else, white dude, you're probably luck. fine. Yeah, well, sometimes you're the charismatic white dude, and then you're also like a serial killer, and then you do go to jail. That's also true. But sometimes you're Neil Caffrey, and you just get like a cool little hat. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, I hate the cat, actually, but like... He thinks it's a cool little he hat. He thinks it's a cool little hat. <laughs> so we have um, obviously talked a bunch about how this fic feels pretty true to the show for both good and maybe not so good. Um, but one of the things that I really liked about this fic that I thought it did really well um, was sort of the bringing in of characters beyond Peter and Neil, um, like uh, Diana and Jones, who, like, exactly the way you would see in an episode, you get the setup at the beginning with, like, here's the crime, here's the problem to solve, here's the case, and they're there and they're present. Um, there's quips about the van, there's Jones tailing Neil, but, like, they kind of come in and out at different points to, like, how relevant it is to, like, the case that they're working at the moment, um, whereas, like, the center is always Peter and Neil. Um, you get, like... Of course, a dinner with Peter and Elizabeth that gets interrupted um, because it always does, because anytime they're like, we're having date night where work does not interfere is like when you know that things are going to pop off. Um, I was okay. Here's the thing. This is a fix. So this was not like Elizabeth was never in jeopardy of this happening. But I do just need to say (laughs) how grateful I am that Elizabeth was present in this fic as a person actually having dinner with Peter. And I say that because in season two, which Brenna and I have been watching, Frequently, Elizabeth enters what we call the green screen dimension or the green screen universe, where that actress was doing something and they just made her film a bunch of scenes in front of a very bad green screen. And they tried to be like, (laughs) oh, L's in San Francisco. And it's like more or less what I'm looking at right now. And what I'm looking at right now is Nick on our Zoom call who has put San Francisco, like the Golden Gate Bridge as their background. Here I am in San Francisco, everyone. It's a beautiful sunset. If you had like a cell phone and you were like a little smaller standing on that like path that's right behind you and you were like, to be honest, like like you'd be in the show. (laughs) Yeah, like a little bit grainier. Yeah, that's it. I'm looking at Elizabeth Burke in season two right now. Um, So I was glad for this, Elizabeth, that it seemed like she was not in the green screen zone. But more importantly, I really liked how the canon characters to the show sort of like we're not necessarily the foreground of this fic, but we're definitely still very present in a way that felt true to the show. And it was just like very fun. Like, I love Diana. I love Jones. I think they are so fun. Um, And Peter and Elizabeth's relationship, and especially the way that like Neil fits into it, the sort of like friendship that Neil has with Elizabeth, where Peter's like, why are, why are you hanging out at my house with my wife without me? Like, what are you doing? Like, it all just felt very... Or something, just like in the living room. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um... It felt like very true to sort of the dynamic you see in the show in a way that felt very delightful. So I really appreciated that. Can I also just give a small shout out to White Collar as a show? Because as much as it like doesn't handle certain elements well, I do love the fact 
that in like 2010, it gave us a side character of Diana, who is allowed to just be a woman of color lesbian who's a badass. And we don't even have to deal with the fact that she's like a lesbian in any negative sense or any like, ooh identity crisis kind of way. She just like has a girlfriend and also kicks ass. And I love that for her. Um, It's like it's never some big plot point like, oh, my God, like she's a lesbian like this big coming out story it's literally just like oh yeah and then like my girlfriend who lives at home with me blah 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 now i'm right. gonna go solve the music box problem yeah. i'm sorry yeah I'm crying incredible we love her <laughs> like the, an episode being like oh my god she's a lesbian listen i my first fandom was glee i know <laughs> yeah i know you know <laughs> so i was just watching it and i was like wow as much as, like, this has a lot of issues with, like, policing and stuff because it's a cop procedural. Well, it's an FBI procedural, but, you know. Like, it also had a few cool diversity moments for, like, a show of its time. <laughs> um, so, shout out to Diana. Love you, girl. So that was our discussion of Jeffrey Nullier's Man with Fedora by Copper Badge. If you're missing white color, this is basically an episode. Enjoy. Choo-choo! All aboard to my fic discussion. My fic for this episode that I have lovingly recommended to my friend Brenna is Once in Future by Olivia Searcy for the fandom's Winter Solstice Camelot Station, a poem by John M. Ford, and Arthurian mythology and related fandoms. In this bite of a fic that's under 3,000 words, uh, you can read about the station master going around on the train in Camelot. It's nice. Uh, I guess he doesn't go around on the train. He's a station master at Camelot Station. Whatever. Um, it's nice. It's very, very Christmassy. Um, so I, I brought some holiday vibes. My family celebrates Christmas. So this is what I'm offering to you all figlets. Um, it is very Arthurian. We have characters that you may recognize from Arthurian mythology. If you watch the show Merlin on BBC, you'll recognize at least some of these characters. Uh, maybe not in the exact way that you remembered them. But they're there. Uh, and that's lovely. This fic was also podficed, uh, so if you want to check that out, it is not only podficked, but soundscaped very beautifully by AO3 user Compass Rose, so I totally recommend checking that out. It's about a 20-minute experience and worth every minute. Um, I am really, really fond of this fic. Um, I think that it's cozy. I think it's warm. I think it's nice. Those are all vibes I wanted to give to Brenna <laughs> this time around. Last time I gave her an unhinged whack Twilight fic. Um, where no one's <laughs> having a good time. <laughs> uh, so I figured I would switch up the vibes this time around and give her something that was a little nicer. Um, I, for some reason, have been on a kick of bringing fics that are only like barely fan fiction <laughs> or not fan fiction at all. This one is based on an epic poem and general mythology, bit of a fusion. Um, I think you could read it as an original story if you really wanted to, but mostly I think come to it for the vibes and the nice prose and stick around for the soundscaping and the podfic and the cozy energy. And as a result of the nice vibes, I do not have any content warnings to share for this fic. I have a lot more to say about it, uh, but co-hosts, I would love to hear what you thought first. I guess Brenna first, because this is for you, my friend. Yay! Yes, I love this. It completely got me in the mood for the holiday season, which I've been needing. Um, I'm so ready for like all the good wintertime vibes. I also celebrate Christmas. I love Christmas. Um, I don't really celebrate it in a religious sense. I celebrate it in a very like trees and ornaments and lights and presents and candles and treats kind of <laughs> yes, way. Me as well. <laughs> um, 
Yes. <laughs> uh, and the very, like, we also do tend to do a little solstice celebration every year, like, with my family and, like, family friends, um, which I also really enjoy. I love, like, sort of just the wintertime cozy, like, candles and treats, and we're celebrating, like, the beginning of sort of the the lightning of the days and stuff. So um, I love that this sort of had both Christmassy and solstice and just good wintertime vibes all around. Um, I'm trying to like actively make my parents' house, which I'm staying at, more like cozy this winter. Um, I feel like I am someone who gravitates a lot towards coziness and they are not. And I'm like, let's let's cozy this place up. Um, I've been reading a book about the Swedish concept of, I don't know how you say it, huga, haiga, something like that. Um, that's like coziness and what you, (laughs) okay. So here's, so here's what I know about this. Mm -hmm. Um, sometime I want to say last year in our server, uh, Dana cloud cover made this like Google doc where people could put recipes in for like cozy winter recipes. And it was titled like, like, you gotta be kidding me, but it was like, like, because (laughs) the pronunciation of that word sounded like you gotta, but it's like, he gotta something somewhere in that realm is how you pronounce it a ton of like permutations of this word like a ton of endings are added on to like refer to different kinds of types of it i don't know i did look up you gotta try this oh thank you 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 gotta be kidding me whatever close (laughs) enough yeah i don't know i pronunciation aside um sorry dana said two points i googled the pronunciation of Huga and spells it phonetically, but I could be wrong. And then it is wonky on mobile, but it's pretty on desktop. Join our server and you can the, look um, at this nice spreadsheet. The little <laughs> book I was reading wrote it out as Huga, but I wasn't really sure if I was like saying that right, just having read it and not ever heard it. Um, but anyway, I feel like all those vibes are very relevant to this fic. Um, and it just very much got me into the wintertime spirit, um, transitioning from autumn time to wintertime, trying to combat the looming seasonal depression by having candles and good cheer. Um, yeah, I also like love Arthurian shit. <laughs> in, a, in a way, I feel like I was saying this to my co-host during pre-discussion yesterday, but I want to like be a little bit more well-versed in some of the sort of more traditional Arthurian stories. I don't necessarily need to read them. I just need to read like a really good primer someone makes me because sometimes I like read an adaptation and I'm like, well, this character wasn't in BBC Merlin, so I don't know who they are. (laughs) (laughs) Which like maybe is not the best way to go through my life. Um, Actually, I think it's fine, but it might be nice sometimes to know a little bit else. Um... But yeah, I don't know. I've been feeling very fond of Arthurian things lately. I've reread a bunch of Merlin fic. I read an adaptation, like another Arthurian adaptation that Friend of the Pod Avery recommended me a couple months ago. Um, we're we're in we're in the vibes, you know. Um, I feel like that's sort of my corner of mythology. Like when we're talking about like, Reed's got the like Greek and Roman mythology, and I've got my little like Celtic and Arthurian tales and stuff. Um, yeah, so I read the poem first, and then I read the fic. I liked both. I struggle with poetry a little bit sometimes, but I feel like it was very prose poetry, and I really liked the way it intertwined with the fic um, and sort of what they fed off of each other. And I have a lot to say about this, but I really love the vibes of it, and I am in the mood to drink hot chocolate with a good candle. I love when Brenna says things that are so Brenna, such as, I would like to better verse myself in Arthurian <laughs> mythology. <laughs> yeah. I um, put that on a t-shirt and sell it i was gonna say we really missed out in frantic fanfic nick you really did nail um writing things for brenna but i think not enough references to arthurian mythology well, i don't know about arthurian mythology so they would have been really bad references 
<laughs> I read Gawain and the Green Knight and hated it in college, and that's about the extent of it. Yeah, mood. I've never read it, so I'm you ignorant can skip to it. any hatred or not. Yeah. yeah, my experience of reading this fic was opening it, um, opening the poem, the link to the poem to read it, getting a stanza in, and realizing I also struggle, or remembering, <laughs> I guess, that I also struggle with poetry. I just think... Uh, sometimes poetry is so hard because I am, was I a creative writing major? Yes. Was poetry like my least favorite required class for that major? <laughs> yes. I find it very hard to understand sometimes. And then I feel very stupid because I'm like, I don't understand what's like, you're speaking so obtusely about things and I don't know what I'm supposed to be pulling from this. I don't know. The poem was fine, but I was struggling with it a little bit. Like, it's not Little Beast by Richard Sykin. So therefore it's hard for me to read. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> wow okay ghost of tumblr 2014 it's no road music it's no mary oliver um you know but here we are well that's true um what i did do though is i um opened the podfic i lit a little like fur scented candle so i could get some really like evergreen wintry vibes going um and i laid on the couch and i listened to the podfic and it was beautiful and delightful and wonderful i am so in awe of the soundscaping it was meticulously done um and you know because you soundscaped our whole horror special uh-huh and that's it was a lot of work and so i'm even more <laughs> impressed when people have like really beautiful and like intricate soundscaping um i think it's not super uncommon in podfic to have like a, like a little intro and outro song but it's much less common to have like a soundscaping all the way through and so i really was impressed by that um and i think compass rose has such a lovely voice like i think it's suited like, this story, I think in part because it was based off of a poem and mythology, the fic itself feels very sort of, like, sing-songy, poem-y. It is fully prose, but it, it kind of lends itself well to, like, being read aloud and having that sort of, like, mystical, magical air being brought to life in that way. Um, so that was a lovely experience for me. Most of my feelings about this fic are about the vibes. Did I firmly grasp the plot or, like... <laughs> What what time is it? What time period is is this fix set in? I simply don't know. Don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I kind of I get the impression, quite honestly, that it doesn't matter. Um, and that this this station perhaps takes place in in many places of time, so it's fine that this fic also might invoke that feeling. Yes, I thought the vibes were very wintry and very lovely. Um, and I'm excited to talk about it more. Yeah, I totally agree. It's very lyrical. It's very storybook. I was saying last night that this fic reminds me of like looking inside of a snow globe uh, and like what you would see in there, the little characters walking around, a little train, or we were saying to like a fancy hotel lobby with a f hotel, hotel lobby uh, with like a train set, like the working mechanical train that goes around and it's all these hills and mountains covered in fake snow. Wow. Beautiful. It's that magic, right? It's that magic that... This feels like an adult way to get across that magic that you would see in stories as a kid. And I love that so much. Um, one of the other reasons I think this worked so well and felt so storybook is what I, I'm sure there's a better name for this. I just refer to them as in-universe metaphors. I'm making up my own literary theory here. Everyone stick with me. Where you use metaphorical or figurative language that is rooted within the universe that you're writing. Uh, to make everything feel more cohesive and to also continuously do world building and character work while you're also 
doing world building and character work. It's like double duty in a sense. One example of it I really liked here um, is when the station master is speaking with Sir Kay. We have the line, Sir Kay runs on tracks as constant as the Trans-Siberian Railway, sturdy rolling stock and a crisp timetable. Um, there's a little bit more after that, but I think I like that line in particular so much because we're in the station master's head. So of course we're going to be using metaphors that are train related. <laughs> um, that's a very obvious example. I think it does this well throughout books that I think do this well, by the way, a memory called empire and six of crows. Those both stand out to me as books that do that like very, very well. Um, and it just feels immersive, especially with a story this short, it feels like it does so much work in a little bit of space. And one of the reasons we say that about fix all the time that we bring that are short, one of the reasons it can do so much in so little space is because it is utilizing all of that space with so much intentionality. So love that Olivia Searcy, A plus on that. Yeah, I feel like a huge goal of this fic was just to be immersive. And I think it did that really, really well. And to Reed's point of like, I don't really know what time it is. Like, I don't really know this or that. Like, yeah, you don't like it straight up doesn't give you that information <laughs> and i feel like it's sort of supposed to be this semi-eternal well, we thing we know it's christmas <laughs> happy um christmas, they said to each happy other happy christmas everyone yeah, thank you um i okay so tangent i feel like i'm on a lot of tangents on this one but i like how happy christmas so- sounds more than merry christmas <laughs> and that's just a me thing um i think it's so cute i don't know happy christmas <laughs> um I'll be sure to wish you a happy Christmas later this year. Thank you, Rita, and I appreciate it. I'll wish you a happy um, Yuletide season. Oh, thank you, Nick. That's really lovely. I will take that as well. Um, yeah, so it's, it's definitely Christmas. We know we know that for sure. Um, but the, like, when and where are very iffy. Um, I mean, we're, like, at Camelot, but, like, mm, Camelot isn't really a place in our world. Um, so it's very much like, is this even our world? Is this a kind of a different alternate history of, of our world where Camelot has existed more? Or like, where they still, it's still like Albion or like, like they call London something slightly different, I think. Um, is Camelot or maybe like the a pretty magical bubble that technically exists in our world, but only some people can like see it and interact right, with it? Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like it's very much this thing of like, this is this permanent kind of point, not not so much in like, like Christmas at Camelot Station is this permanent point that every year they return to and it's very cyclical and it doesn't really matter that much like where it actually physically is or when it actually physically is because it kind of exists in perpetuity and like I love that vibe like that every year this kind of happens again and again in some ways it's like kind of what seems to be keeping this world moving like Arthur in particular seems to be very much this force of like he's existed forever it seems like and he's gonna continue to exist as long as this kind of world exists and he's out there with lance like i don't know seeming to like be repairing train tracks which i i love i love that um but it just sort of is kind of like okay and once a year they all return home and that like marks the beginning of this like next year journey and we are gonna do this kind of forever and it it kind of almost like like the trains it's like provide these journeys are providing the momentum of this universe turning forward every year on christmas um and i just really like that i like that so much um yeah the the sort of cyclical nature and and permanentness of it and like there's a bit where our main character in the fic the station master is sort of saying like that he remembers when it was just an encampment by a lake when it was an inn when it was all of these different things when it was a roman road and now it's a train station and you get this feeling that like it doesn't super matter that it's trains but it matters that it's people and it's movement and it's this certain time that they all come back together and like uh, i like it a lot 
I think one read of this story and one read of this poem as well um, kind of ties back into the Arthurian mythology. And I think it is interesting to consider the train itself as a metaphor for magic. Um, to my understanding, Arthur is not magical. He's just next to the magic. Um, and again, I'm okay. Here's my issue. A lot of my Arthurian knowledge is secondhand of the show BBC Merlin. Like it could not be much worse. Um, <laughs> I expunged Gawain and the Green Knight from my memory immediately after I finished taking my medieval literature class <laughs> or like pre-medieval literature class, whatever it was. Regardless, to my understanding, I think Arthur and the other non-magical folk are doing something at some point, whether they know it or not, to help facilitate the use of magic in a way that helps people. Um, and so that feels very, very metaphorical for this idea of them fixing the train tracks, that the train can keep moving, that it can keep moving through time, through space, that it can come back every single year at exactly the same time. There's this really beautiful diligence to it um, that I think does speak to I don't know the value of like sheer human work. There's a lot of poems that I do really like that talk about like enjoying or like being a fan of honest work uh, and valuing it and thinking about it, um, thinking about. Wow. Okay. Puritan work ethic. Exactly. Nick. That's what I always, <laughs> I always talk about this, uh, the value of the Puritan work ethic on this show. Um, <laughs> no, but I think even just like getting back to the value of like simplicity of being able to mm -hmm. and especially in our day and age right where we're constantly trying to shove as much media as possible into our brains to forget the fact that we're living human beings with bodies um that's a cynical take <laughs> but i think it's it's real and maybe for people who listen to the show especially real you're welcome you're glad welcome. we could provide some of that <laughs> yeah um sorry to bring you back into your body for this one but i think that i don't know there is some metaphor here around the value of just like stopping and like doing something with your hands, doing something with your body, um, human connection in that way, and like the physicality of it when that's possible. All of that is coming up for me as I read this very short little fic um, and think about potential connections. So I'm just appreciative of that as well. I mean, I think there's something to be said for the way what both of you were talking about. Um, like there's a real grounding to this fic, even as so many things are quite literally transient, but also just sort of like ephemeral. Like, the fact that the station can be and has been so many things and so many places and so many times, but also that it is this reliable, steadfast, like they will always return. It will always be Christmas time at the station with the knights returning home, um, finding grounding in, as you were saying, Nick, like the physical and like bringing yourself back in a real present way. I don't know. I was thinking a little bit, too, as, as Brenna was talking about the cycles of it, that I liked so much that this fic feels cyclical but not in like a not like in a in a loop that always repeats like that there are differences and little things that you can see markers of like the world passing and these people sort of continuing to slightly grow and change and interact with like one another the staircase. little yeah like the little chest of holy grail coins that the station master has um or the fact that this year um is it guinevere who invites the station master mm -hmm. to come yeah that she says, come up to the castle for Twelfth Night. And it's it's not unheard of, but it's not the norm. And it was like those little, I don't know, I liked those little breaks too that sort of like 
showed, I think, I don't know, I think this would have been much different if it was like, this is the same pattern, the same mm-hmm. track they always repeat. If we go back to our like, like dystopian Groundhog's Day <laughs> trade, yeah, I was gonna say, yeah. If we go back to our our hotel lobby yeah. reference, like if this is a little wintry scene with little beautifully carved figures who are on a track that go and have their same little motions all the time, I think that would be much sadder than the idea of it being like this this home that they all come back to at this this point of year that they all live in, but that it also keeps growing. Absolutely. And I think like to both of what you were saying and like to get back to Nick's point a little bit like about the magic and the trains and everything like, yeah, I mean, it's Arthur, right? So it's like once in future, it's sort of the the past and the what's to come. And I think a lot of Arthurian like retellings and things that pull from Arthurian stuff tend to be like, okay, well, Arthur was like back then and then we he he's here again. Oh, he's come back. And I kind of like that this one was just like, and he's been around. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think to your point, like Arthur, like I think in many modern adaptations and like yeah, I have not really read the like more sort of canon Arthurian stuff, but um I feel like Arthur is very much presented as sort of this person who's intrinsically tied to the magic of the universe, but like not someone who like is actively using it. Like he's not he's not a sorcerer. He's not Merlin. Like but also like it wouldn't really be able to like exist in this world without him in a lot of ways. Like there's a reason he can y- y- like wield the sword. Like there's a reason for these things. Like he's kind of like a lay point is that even the right word like a conduit for the magic almost like it's attached to him but he's not like out here being like and here's a fire i'm making in my hand or something like i don't really think that's his shit um he's a vehicle maybe he's the train i mean i feel like there's a reason he's out there like repairing the trains and the tracks and everything you know um i don't think he's literally the train but (laughs) maybe (laughs) be a little creepy like body horror (laughs) god this is just making me think about Gansey from the Raven Cycle, who's, like, one of the only, like, non-magic people, but, like, he is so the through line for all I of the magic. Like and all a the huge reason why Gansey was my favorite of the Raven Cycle kids. Because <laughs> he's, like, so Arthur-coded. It's horrible. I do have uh, one last thing to say, which is that Olivia Searcy does seem to either know or have a parasocial relationship with the author of the poem. Um, to whom they directly address the endnotes. So, food for thought. Yeah. Also, I will say, Thicklets, if any of you, like, want to suggest um, or perhaps, like, pay for a sort of snow snowscape train ride where I get to be in a little train car and all the seats are like velvety and plush and I get served hot tea and biscuits and scones and cookies and it's just like really magical um let me know because i would love that ficklets, me, t- me too yeah, ficklets wait, me too please ficklets. <laughs> ficklets just sponsor your favorite host and if all yeah. three of us get <laughs> to go then we'll know and if but not what if one the, of us doesn't get to the go other two one of us is no one's really favorite <laughs> yeah that's so upsetting i guess you world, just have baby. to sponsor all three of us so that none of us feel left out well yeah what are you gonna do all right, well, that was our discussion of Once in Future by Olivia Searcy, as well as uh, some brief discussion of the podfic by Compass Rose, uh, a cozy storybook fic that you absolutely should read if you are looking for those nice wintry vibes. And Huga. Hmm. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of FitClick. If you are interested in joining a space where you can contribute to cozy little winter recipes or talk about fic fandom, really anything, we do have a Discord server, which you can find on our Twitter, our Twitter being FicClick, um, which is a great way to reach us if you'd like to reach out to us about anything. Or if you would like to reach us in a way that is not Twitter or Discord, you can also reach us at our email, uh, FicClickPod at gmail.com. We check it pretty regularly, so we will more than likely get back to you at some point. It's that time of year to make a, a fake Apple Podcasts account, if you want, to review FitClick so that you don't have to use it with your real legal government name. Uh, you can also review us on Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, it really helps us out. We're a baby show. Well, we've been around for, we're a toddler show at this point. Uh, but word of mouth is the primary way that we get new listeners, so feel free to spread the word. You can also do so on your own social media, on your blog. You could even get FitClick tattooed on your neck. Uh, really, it's up to you. However you want to spread the word, we'll really appreciate it. If you love FitClick and you know people who love FitClick and you're looking for some holiday gift ideas, um, we do have some merch available on our Redbubble. You can find the link to that through our Twitter um, or just Google. Honestly, we'll probably get you there too. Um, also, if you're in the giving spirit this holiday season and would like to support another year of FitClick and also us going on train adventures, pro probably not. Your money will actually go to towards the podcast, but you know, a girl can dream. Um, we do have a Ko-Fi as well where you could toss us a few bucks. Um, and you can find the link to that on our Twitter as well. Our next episode coming out on December 23rd is a mini-sode. It's going to be our year in review episode where we look back on the past year of FitClick. Um, and we also, I don't know, probably talk about nonsense. We'll see what happens. Um, but it's always a nice chance to talk about our reading for the year, how things have gone and what we're looking forward to in 2023. Well, Ficklets, um, I'm going to go start a very intense workout regimen so that I too can enter a deeply homoerotic uh, relationship with someone <laughs> as their bodyguard. Bye! <laughs> Ficklets, oh my god, I'm gonna miss my train! Bye! Ficklets, help, I'm getting pulled into the San Francisco green screen dimension! <laughs> Save me! Bye! <laughs> Bye.